Good morning. Uh, for those whom I have not met, uh, my name is Jennifer. I'm an associate pastor here, and it's always an honor and a privilege to share God's word with you. It is something I don't take for granted. So this morning, we are, of course, looking at the parable of the unjust judge or the persistent widow. It has different titles in different versions. And it's the second last in our series through Jesus' parables, the greatest stories ever told. And so next week, we'll hear the final installment of our series on the prodigal son. I hope you'll come back for that. And um, pretty much everything I'm going to share with you today is really serious stuff. I'm going to sort of lean into what I do best, which is be very sincere and vulnerable and wrestle with this scripture. But before we get into that, I want to tell a joke. So I'll try and lighten the mood a little bit. <laughs> um, so here goes. The preacher's five-year-old son noticed that his mother always paused and bowed her head for a moment before starting her sermon. One day, he asked her why. Well, honey, she began, proud that her son was so observant of her messages. I'm asking the Lord to help me preach a good sermon. Oh, how come he doesn't answer your prayer, he asked. <laughs> uh, this, is, <laughs> this is the basic question that we're looking at this morning, the question we are wrestling with, why do so many of our prayers seem to go unanswered for so long? And how do we persevere in prayer when that is the case? We're looking at a very unique parable today. And one of the reasons it's unique is that Luke announces right off the bat, the first verse of chapter 18, why Jesus told it. So it says in verse 1, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So okay then, I guess we're done. We should always pray and not give up. We can all go home. What more do we need? I think we need a fair bit more. We need a whole lot more because Jesus wants to give us this message that we should always pray and not give up, but he didn't come out with a command about this. He came out with a story. And in the story, we discover why we should persevere in prayer. And the why has a whole lot to do with understanding who it is that we're praying to. Jesus seems to think that if we really understand who God is and our relationship with him, then persevering in prayer is going to naturally follow. But again, he doesn't go about this in the ordinary way. You've noticed in many of his other parables, he often creates a character that is obviously representing God, like the shepherd who goes after the one lost sheep, or a king, or a landowner. But in this parable, he describes an evil judge who neither feared God nor cared about people. He creates a character who's the exact opposite of who we know God to be, who behaves in ways that God would never behave. And so by comparison, he's teaching us what God is like and what the experience of coming to God in prayer should be like. So let's look just a little more closely at this story. Here we have this poor widow who has experienced a threefold tragedy. First of all, she's lost her husband. Then she's been taken advantage of someone by a neighbor. And then, when she tries to lodge a complaint in court, she gets the worst possible judge, the one that everybody knows couldn't care less about the law or about justice. He even admits this himself. 
This judge refuses to do anything about her situation. He just sends her away, but she keeps coming back day after day. There she is again. Can't you just feel his groaning every morning as he looks out at the lineup and sees her standing there waiting for him again? Why won't she just go away, he's thinking. Can't she take a hint? Hasn't she figured out? I don't want to deal with her and her problem. I don't care. Apparently not, because she just keeps coming back every day, naively waiting in line again for his help. And this goes on. We don't know for how long, maybe weeks, maybe months. And eventually, he decides to resolve her case. Not because he suddenly had a change of heart towards her or because he's realized his great responsibility to uphold justice, but he does it because he's just tired of her. And he's starting to maybe get a little afraid of what she might do if he doesn't give her justice. So he helps her for his own sake, not for hers. He just wants to be free of her pestering, get rid of her. And so she finally gets what she wants and she goes off in peace. So what do we do with a story like this? We know we're supposed to learn something about God, but what? Let's look again at what Jesus says in verses six and seven. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will God not bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? The obvious answer to this question is no, he won't. And Jesus goes on to say, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Because God loves his people and he cares about justice. So it would be easy to look at this parable simply as making this point that we have a good judge, not a bad one. And so if this widow was able to persist, even when a positive outcome for her was so unlikely, then how much more should we be able to persist? Because we know God loves us and will do what's right. It's a classic Jewish argument from the lesser to the greater, that if the unjust judge could grant justice, how much more will the perfectly just God? That's a good interpretation, but I think there's more to it than that. Jesus was so absolutely brilliant in the way that he told his stories. And I think if we look a little deeper, we will notice that in this parable, it actually brings to life and personifies some of our own misconceptions and frustrations with prayer. Jesus asks rhetorically, will God keep putting his people off? Let's make it a little more personal. Does God keep putting you off? with what you ask him for. We know the answer is supposed to be no, but if you're anything like me, uh, you might have a little hesitation. If you've been a person of prayer for any length of time, you know that God's answers are not usually instantaneous. We often have to pray about the same situation, the same health issue, the same broken relationship, the same temptation over and over again, without seeing any change. My dad still has MS, in spite of 30 years of prayer. My brother-in-law is still not a Christian. My good friend is still heading for divorce. And I'm sure all of you have situations in your life where you've prayed, and you've prayed, and you've prayed. <coughs> for what? It's frustrating not to see any change, and Jesus knows this. He knows that sometimes we're going to feel exactly like the widow in this story, coming to the judge over and over again and getting no response. 
He knows that sometimes we're going to start to think God doesn't care about me. God is holding out on me. And he knows that sometimes we're going to think we can wear him down if we just, we can bend his will to ours if we persist, if we just pray harder, if we just pray longer, if we just get more people to pray with us and for us. And Jesus tells us this story to remind us, almost in a bit of a, a satirical way, do you really think that's what God is like? Do you really think that's how prayer works? So, I see at least three misconceptions here that we have about prayer that Jesus has personified in the story. And the first is that we are the victim. We often imagine ourselves to be somewhat like this widow with tragedy after tra tragedy unfolding. We may not quite admit that to ourselves, but we think we're pretty hard done by. Our lives are tough and our friends' lives are difficult and we know how things ought to be and nothing is going the way it should. And so the result of this is we come to God with the attitude that we deserve to get what we want because we've been wronged. It's our right to have this situation and this health issue and this relationship and this hardship fixed. It's our right because we're the victim. And Jesus quietly whispers to us through this parable, is that so? The second misconception we have is that God is unfair, like this unjust judge. He doesn't really care about us or he would have fixed it already. He knows what needs to be done and he refuses to do it, so he doesn't love us. And again, Jesus kind of pokes at our hearts and says, is that so? And the final misconception is that the only way to get God to give me what I want, or actually what I deserve, because I've been wronged, is to pester him. And this is maybe the most ridiculous misconception of all. Is God unaware of what we prayed for yesterday? As I've heard one person put it, is God deaf? Has he forgotten what we want? And he just needs to be reminded again every day until that concern of ours will finally make it to the top of his to-do list for the day or until he gets sick of hearing about it. Is he keeping count, waiting till we ask him exactly a hundred times before he's gonna answer? No. We may think that we're somewhere in the process of twisting God's arm about something, but through this story, Jesus again asks us, is that so? I hope it's obvious that none of these misconceptions about prayer are true. We are not the victim in this scenario. God is not an unfair judge. And we are not going to force him to do what we want by pestering him. So then what is prayer like? If it's not like that, then what is it like? And here we need to go back to Jesus' teaching on prayer earlier on in Luke. And we'll see that he describes our relationship with God very differently. Um, up on screen, I think you'll see Luke 11, 9 to 13. Jesus said, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? We should take note briefly that this same exact teaching is repeated in Matthew 7 in the Sermon on the Mount with one difference, that the Heavenly Father will give good gifts to those who ask Him. And so we might ask, well, which is it? Is He promising to give us the Holy Spirit or is He promising to give us good gifts? I think we can safely say it's both. But that's not the most important thing to notice here. The most important thing about this teaching of Jesus about prayer is that we are not in a judge and plaintiff relationship with God. We're in a parent and child relationship. We are beloved children of a good father who delights to give us good gifts. And he would never give us something harmful. So if we have trusted in Jesus Christ as our savior, then we are not the victims anymore, no matter what we may have to face in this life. Jesus became the victim so that we could be members of God's own family. We are forgiven, we're redeemed, we're adopted as God's children. We are welcomed into his presence with open arms. We're blessed beyond what we can even comprehend. We may not always feel like it, and we only have to go back and read the Beatitudes to understand that God's idea of blessing us may look somewhat different than what we expect, but he promises to give us good gifts. He promises that he loves us like a perfect father. He promises that he always, always answers our prayers. You might want to argue with me about that one. I sometimes want to argue with me. Did I really just say he always answers our prayers? Yes, I did. I, and believe me, I know, I know very personally how hard this is to accept. I have prayed in my life fervently for things that I believed were good and right, and it seemed like God did not respond. Even though I prayed, I still had a miscarriage in 2012. Even though I prayed, my aunt still died of cancer, leaving my two teenage cousins without a mom. So I don't want you to think that I can stand up here and say God always answers because my life has just been a bed of roses and it's been easy. No, I've had disappointments and heartbreaks in prayer just like all of you. And so I've been angry and confused at God. But God's word says everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds until the one who knocks the door will be opened. And I don't know how else to read that other than to believe that God always answers. But does that mean God's answer is always yes? If we read Jesus' teaching about prayer superficially, we might think so. We might read the parable of this persistent widow and conclude that if God does say no, then we should refuse to accept his answer and keep on asking, keep on demanding to get what we want. But that would be crazy. Do we think we know better than God? Half the time we're asking for the wrong thing anyways, so of course God has to say no. And if, he can't, if we can't accept his answer when it's given, then we aren't listening to him at all, and then what good is prayer? Isn't prayer supposed to be a conversation with God in which at least some of the time we should be listening? So I don't think these passages are teaching that God never says no, 
They teach that God always hears his children and answers. And no is an answer, just as much as yes. We don't like it, but it's an answer. So the focus of Jesus' teaching on prayer in both these passages is not on getting a positive answer, but it's on understanding the character of God. They're making the same point. We have a good God, a God who treats us like a father would treat his children, who listens eagerly to us, who responds to us by giving us good things. So this is the key point. If you're going to write anything down, this is the thing. When we pray, we don't put our faith in getting a positive answer from God, but in the fact that no matter what his answer, God will be good to us. He will be true to his character. We must put our faith in who God is, not in the outcome of our prayers. So how are we, how are we gonna do this? Let me give you one example. When we're praying for healing, and we often are because we know so many people are sick and sometimes we ourselves are sick and we ask God for healing. But instead of saying, I have faith that I will be healed, wouldn't it be better to say, I have faith that God will be good to me. He's heard me, he's heard my request, and I have faith that he will do the right thing, the best thing. He will do the thing that I myself would even choose if only I knew all the things that he knows. And I hope that he heals me, but if he doesn't, then I know that he has a good reason, because I trust in his goodness. If we pray with that kind of confidence in God's character, then we'll be able to accept his yes when it comes with humility and gratitude rather than some inappropriate sense of vindication. Like, aha, I successfully convinced him. And we'll be able to accept his no without losing heart because we trust in his goodness to us. We trust that he'll carry us through. We trust that he'll use our suffering for some purpose that we can't even see. The Apostle Paul is a great example of someone who was told no in answer to his prayers, but who trusted in God's character anyways. I'm sure many of you know the famous passage about Paul's thorn, but let me read it for you again. 2 Corinthians 12, 7-9, Paul says, I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Did you catch the reason why God said no to Paul's request? God knew that if he took away Paul's thorn, whatever we, it was, we don't know. It could have been a health issue, a relationship, a person that was badgering him. We don't know what the thorn was. But if God took it away, Paul would have become too conceited. His pride would have been much worse for him than this thorn. His pride could have destroyed his effectiveness as a preacher of the gospel. It could have caused further division among the churches, and it would certainly have affected Paul's own relationship with God. And once Paul recognized this, then he was on board with God's decision to say no. He understood, okay, 
God's not trying to make my life difficult for no reason. He has a reason. He's, remo- he's refusing to remove this thorn for Paul's own good and for the good of the churches that Paul was serving. God was being good to him by allowing this thorn in his life. Can we say that about the things in our lives that we feel God hasn't fixed? Can we look at this painful situation or this health issue or this temptation or this relationship or whatever other thing that we've prayed about so hard for so long and seen no change and say, God's being good to me. Not that the situation is good, but that God is good and that he can use that situation for good if we let him. And this is so hard, I know. But if we believe what the scriptures say, then we have to trust God really does know and do what is best for his children in every situation. Sometimes he has to say no to us because he knows the good things that are going to come as a result of us going through this situation that we want fixed. He knows if we don't face this thing, whatever it is, this thing that seems painful and detrimental and grossly unfair, If we don't face it, then X, Y, and Z are not going to happen. And we don't know what X, Y, and Z are, but God does. We see only the present difficulty, but God has a bigger picture in mind. He sees that invisible web of all the possibilities for our future, which is intersecting with and affecting all the possibilities for the futures of people around us. And we can't possibly see how everything that happens to us is going to affect all of those people, but God does. He's the only one who knows what is actually good for us in any given situation. And we may think we know what's good, but actually we have no idea. Let's look at one more example, the example of Christ himself. He also heard no from his father, didn't he? Before he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus knelt down and prayed, Father, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. And yet he still had to drink that cup of suffering. He went to the cross. God said no. And Jesus accepted his father's will. What would have been the outcome if he had not done that? If the father had taken away that trial from him? No resurrection. No forgiveness of sins. No coming of the Holy Spirit. No church. We wouldn't be here today worshiping, would we? So I trust that my point is clear. Only God knows what is best. So when we pray, we can't simply demand what we want from God. Even Jesus didn't do that. We can't hang all our faith on getting a yes. We put our faith in the fact that God is good and only he knows what's ultimately good for us and for those around us. We need to hold on to this verse in Romans chapter 8. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. But we can't stop there. We have to go on. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. So there it is. That's the ultimate good that God has in mind for us, to make us like Jesus. We don't always keep this in mind when we're praying. We pray for what would be more comfortable for us, what would make us happy, what seems good to us in the moment. 
but God then answers our prayers in accord with what is good for us in that eternal sense, what is going to make us like Jesus. And he sees the outcome of every possible situation so much more clearly than we can. So we trust that when we pray, God hears us, God loves us, and God does what is good for us because he is good. So some of you might ask then, well, does this mean then that we should just pray for something once and then stop? Would that show greater trust in God's goodness? I've asked him, he's heard me, he loves me, so now I can quit? No. <laughs> no. Theoretically, we think, well, maybe that would show greater trust, but actually, without prayer, we can't keep trusting as human beings. Our sinful nature makes that impossible for us. We need to continually look at our need and then look at God and his goodness, and then look at our need, and then look at God. And we do this daily, because the need that we have changes slightly from day to day. In every variation, we need to affirm, yes, God is there. He is over, he is in control of this, he will do what's right. And that's what we're doing in prayer. We're not twisting his arm, we're acknowledging his goodness in every single situation of our lives, in every detail, and Every single thing that we pray for when we come with our long list to God, we're saying, yes, God is good there. He's good there. He's good there. And we trust that he will respond. We're getting our hearts ready in prayer to accept whether he says yes or no. He does often give us what we ask for. Many of you could share stories of God's answers to prayer in your life when he has said yes and given you the thing that you've prayed for. But our attitude should not be one of entitlement and demanding or despairing when he doesn't do what we want. It should be an attitude of faith and trust. Remember, Luke did say the point of this parable that we've studied is to always pray and not lose heart. But when we understand the parable more deeply, we're, we'll come to prayer with a different attitude. We don't continue to pray because we have to twist God's arm to get what we want, and a good judge's arm is easier to twist than a bad one's. We continue to pray because we need to practice putting our faith in the goodness of God. And we'll continually struggle throughout our lives with this. We will have, always have the tendency to allow our difficult circumstances to shape what we believe about God, rather than allowing his word to shape what we believe about our circumstances. What I mean by that is that we'll always tend to elevate our experience of our prayers not being answered over the word which says God always answers, and that his answer, whether yes or no, is always good. So we need, we need to persevere in that conversation with God. That's what prayer is. We're talking to God, we're listening for his answer, his response. We adore him, we thank him, we confess to him, and we ask for what we need, and then we listen, and we accept his answer. The more we talk to him, the more we get to know his voice, then the more we're going to understand how good he is and how much he loves us. At the very end of Jesus' parable about this persistent widow, Jesus asks us one final question. In verse 8, he says, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? It's a question we can't answer except by our own response. Will you and I continue to have faith that God is good, that he hears us, that he loves us, 
that he always answers in the way that is best for us, despite all our supposed evidence to the contrary. Will we continue to trust that Jesus revealed to us a good father? And if so, if we're going to continue, then we can't help but live like it and continue coming to our Father with all of our requests and all of our needs, continuing to pray. So when you pray, don't put your faith in getting a positive answer, a yes to what you want. Put your faith in the goodness of God. He does love you. He is going to do what is best for you. He's not an unjust judge, and you are not a victim. He's your good father. You're his beloved child. So let's pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Change our hearts so that when we come to you, we are not setting up our own desires and wants and opinions as something that you have to do for us. Lord, help us to come to you as a child would come to their father, sharing their hurts and their needs, and knowing that the father will love them and comfort them. I know, Lord, that many here have heartbreaking situations in their lives. Only you know exactly what each heart needs. But Lord, I pray that you would reveal your goodness, even in the midst of whatever that difficulty is. That you would help us to have faith that no matter what we see around us, we have a God who is good and who loves us. Help us to believe your word that says you will answer. Lord, help us to persevere in prayer when sometimes we don't feel like we know what the point is anymore. Help us to keep that conversation with you going. Help us to trust. Lord, we cannot do this on our own. We need your spirit. We need your help. We thank you that even when words fail us, your spirit intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. We are so grateful to you, God. And in every situation of life, especially the hardest ones, we say, Lord, you are good. Amen.